All yeah. right, are we we talking about editors today? Is that the plan? Yeah, editors' yeah. night to ease. Right. My, my plan is to subvert the conversation every chance I get. Okay. So, awesome. so today the role of David Brady will be played by Josh Husser? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 40 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, this week on our panel, we have a guest rogue. It's Gary Bernhardt from Destroy All Software. Woo! Yay! Hooray! Gary, you want to introduce yourself since you haven't been on the show before? Uh, I suppose I could do that. Um, I run Destroy All Software, like you said. Uh, I think I'm mostly known for using Unix and Vim and, to some extent, TDD very quickly. So uh, I guess I'm appropriate for the topic at hand. All right. That, you, you, okay. Uh, also on our panel, we have Josh Susser. Hello. Good morning. Today I'll be playing the part of David Brady. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of scary. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> Also on our panel, we have David Brady. Hey, uh, control U for Alt X involved David Brady. I feel better already. It's an Emacs joke. And that's why I can't play the part of David Brady. I've got a dog in this fight. Let's go. So David will be playing the part of Josh Susser. <laughs> <laughs> also on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Good morning. I'm Avdi, and today I will be representing the Word Star editor. <laughs> we also it's too early in 2004. <laughs> we also have James Edward Gray on the podcast. Hey everybody, I'm participating in this call via Emacs's Skype mode. <laughs> How do you do that control? I don't even know. Control chat. Anyway, I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com and uh as you can tell, we're going to be talking about text editors and IDEs today. Um, so we, we've kind of had some discussions, some friendly uh, banter back and forth about Emacs and Vim and you know, some of the other IDEs out there. And so we thought we would get in and talk about it. Um, Gary's done wait, some... Wait, some wait, 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 wait. Control chat? You hold down control <laughs> and then push the chat key? Yeah, don't you have one? Only no. Indian keyboards have that. I want this. <laughs> Do I have to learn Sanskrit? Because I will. <laughs> Please don't encourage him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can take the David Brady out of David. You can put the David Brady into Josh Susser, but you, oh, that's kind of awkward. But you can't take the David Brady out of David Brady. That's the important thing. <laughs> Get out of my head, David. Yeah, I'm in your head. <laughs> I'm in your head messing with your thoughts. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, really quickly, I'm a little curious as to who who uses what primarily. So, uh, let's go around the the panel real quick and just to see what you use for most of your programming. Um, James, what do you use? So, I use uh, TextMate primarily. That's probably not too shocking since I wrote a book on it. Uh, lately, I have been teaching myself Emacs, and I I will admit that it's growing on me, and and I have enjoyed working with it, and and maybe I'm. I'm using it some now, and maybe someday I might even switch. 
James, none of us want to hear about what's growing on you. That's a good point. Avdi, what are you using? Uh, I, I use primarily Emacs. All right. David? Emacs forever, man. Gary? Uh, I only use TextMate, actually. I, I think that, uh, not to get this started too early, but this whole Vim thing is so ridiculous. Did you know that that editor, the way it was designed with the whole modal thing was because they had 300 baud modems, and it's like... Uh, I just can't even stand it. I need something pretty, uh, and I need something that requires me to click my mouse as many times as possible. So I use TextMate exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> Let the trolling begin. <laughs> clicky, clicky. All right. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I missed something. Somebody's Somebody got his Josh. game face on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you believed that... <laughs> 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 Josh, what are you using? Uh, BB Edit Forever. No. Because <laughs> yes. it doesn't suck. No. Yes. No, I, I used to love BB Edit and then TextMate came out. <laughs> yeah, TextMate crushed BB Edits for, for me. And it's it, TextMate is still my go to text editor. I've been using RubyMine a lot lately, as I said on the Pix last week, um, which um, is kind of nice as an IDE. But I still like TextMate for the the pure character manipulation power. All right, yeah, and, and 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 I have to disclaim that uh, while I can I can type a few things in VI, I haven't used Emacs since it was written in Tico. Yikes! All right, nice reference, sir. <laughs> Tico isn't that the URL shortener for Twitter? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, very good, nice. sir. <laughs> also, also written in Emacs, by the way. <laughs> yeah, because Emacs is a language and an editor. <laughs> Emacs is an operating system unto itself. In fact, it would be it would be a complete, finished, robust operating system. All it lacks is a good text editor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll chime in. I actually use Vim. Uh, I think I've said that on the podcast before. So no shock there, right? So you have a slow modem. <laughs> 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 it's plugged into the back of my head. Oh. Guys, I was worried that this wouldn't be a very good episode. <laughs> just wait. We've only got, got just gotten started. You've only just yep. begun. We haven't started throwing stones yet. <laughs> so so um. should we talk about the IDE versus text editor thing? Yeah, let's go into that first, and then we can all fight over which text editor is better. I think Gary already settled it, really. (laughs) We can spend the rest of the episode drinking. (laughs) So, Josh, normally we turn to you for a definition. Um, Could you please give us the rules for the drinking game? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Every every time you have to uh, type a regular expression to find a file by name, you have to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. So, Josh, since you do love definitions, how about IDE versus text editor? Okay. So, an IDE is an integrated development environment, and I've been using that TLA since 1984. Um, the, the, the first IDE I ever ran across was Smalltalk, and I think that was really one of the first IDEs around, if not the, um, although maybe Lisp, Lisp beat Smalltalk to it. Um, so it, an IDE ha, is basically soup to nuts of everything you do programming in one place. You know, it, you edit the text, you have the ability to compile and run tests, and you know all that good stuff all in one place. Debugging, uh, and that, that and so Smalltalk had a kind of crappy text editor, but the 
the IDE features made programming in Smalltalk you know, great and really productive. So the, the other side is text editors where the focus is, hey, we're editing files. Uh, you know, the, our program consists of a bunch of files in a file system and let's go edit those things. So I, I can't come up with a better definition than that. <laughs> did, did Lisp actually have an IDE or did it have a TAT? A T-I-A-T-I, which is basically you fire up the REPL and this is all there is. Actually, the inner Lisp D um, IDE that mm -hmm. uh, ran on Xerox machines in the 80s was pretty freaking awesome. Really? Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was you know, basically everything that you could do in the Smalltalk environment, they had the equivalent in the Lisp environment, and actually the two teams stole liberally from each other. So there's... I, you know, Josh, I am so jealous of you. It's, you and I are about the same age. Um, and, and yet you had like a productive childhood. You had way more fun than all of us. I was going to say, I was going to say, I remember the eighties elementary school was really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Move, moving right along. So what are the, what are the differences that's, that's always, um, that's always separated editors from IDEs, and I think this is actually less true these days. Is it used to be like you know, like you guys are talking about? There was this, there was a Smalltalk IDE, which is actually kind of Smalltalk itself, and a Lisp IDE. And, and the thing about IDEs is that traditionally they were very bound to a single programming language, um, and it's it's getting to be less that way. I mean, now you know you have Ruby or not Ruby. RubyVine, but you have you know the JetBrains IDE supporting multiple languages. You have Eclipse supporting multiple languages. Um, but that was actually one of the things that turned me off to IDEs in the first place. Is, is it used to be you know you'd go into a big programming shop and you'd go into a particular team and it'd be like okay we're using this language so we're all using this IDE and you know you'd spend six months or a year programming on that and learning it and and you know maybe adding some extensions to it and stuff like that and then you'd move to another team it's like okay we all use this ide here which is you know a completely different environment and so you'd lose everything and that was considered completely normal yeah yeah so 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 uh, that's a great point but um I, I guess I need to amend my definition of IDE then. Um, an IDE is a crutch for people using Java so that the language is usable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yes. It's, it's like for languages with very high ceremony, the IDE is like a, like a portable cathedral. Yeah. Well, the other thing you have to bring up with IDEs is, is um, you know, the, the classic chapter in Pragmatic Programmer, uh, uh, Evil Wizards, because um, that's always been kind of identified with IDEs, is the idea that it will generate, it's something that will generate a lot of code for you. Um, and that's not necessarily tied to an IDE, but sort of it, it sort of traditionally is, you know, the idea of something that will generate magic code for you that you don't need to think about, you just need to not touch it and it'll work. Right. Well, one thing that I've seen with uh, a lot of the IDEs, because I've talked to people that swear by their IDE, you know, be it RubyMine or I know a few people who used to use NetBeans when it supported Ruby and things like I that. Know, I know a lot of people who swear at their IDEs. <laughs> <laughs> you, you must have been sitting near me when I used one. Um, anyway, the, a lot of times what they tout are things like uh, auto-completion. Um, you know, sometimes it'll parse their code and, and, you know, it picks up errors and things like that. Um, the other thing that I've, I've heard people talk about is like the built-in debuggers. and uh, some Right. And, yeah, refactorings and some of these other tools that are built into it. 
And uh, I have yet to find anything that the IDE will do that I can't do from either Vim with specific plugins or the command line. Yep. Yeah, like go to go to a symbols definition or go to a methods definition. Oh, look! If you run C tags, you can do that with any text editor. Right. And and so it's it's kind of an interesting uh, discussion. The thing that drives me crazy with the IDEs is that um, I have yet to find one that doesn't bog down my computer when I run it. Whereas with the text editors, they're usually a little more lightweight and they run on. Uh, you know, I can run everything else from the command line, and my my machine is still snappy; it still responds. So, it, so that depends on how large a file you're trying to open in TextMate. That's, That's very true. Yeah, yeah, TextMate. <laughs> yeah. So I actually started with the granddaddy of them all, which was uh, Developer Studio, and um, and and yeah, I, Josh. Uh, to to give a nod to your point, I've actually in job interviews had questions like, "Which key do you press to compile your code?" Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, interview questions were like, "Do you know Developer Studio?" You know, forget about the language. Do you know the tool? And um, oh yeah, I was uh, I was I was hip deep in Developer Studio when uh, the Pragmatic Programmer came out, and they had that line about know your editor. And I'm like, all right, let's get out the plasma torch and the screwdriver. I'm going to rip the face off this thing. And I ended up, I wrote my own wizards for Developer Studio. I compiled my own plugins for it that would I would distribute to the team that would put up little, you know, it would add little buttons to Developer Studio that they could click that would run things. Um, I integrated uh, basically a, our own version of Make uh, using Python. In, and then bolted it into Developer Studio for the team to use. Uh, I loved Developer Studio. Man, I, I had that thing singing and dancing and doing backflips for me. And then the whole open source revolution came along, and I threw it all out to switch to Vim uh, and then to Emacs. And uh, I, I think that's why I bounced off of Vim and right into Emacs was because, and, and we'll get into this when we start talking about the philosophy of Vim versus Emacs, but I had, I'd had i come from this environment where the tool did everything and anything that the tool couldn't do, you could embed it in the tool and it would subsume it and it would become part of the, it was Borg, we are Borg, we will assimilate all your tools. And I went to Vim and Vim does nothing. And it does it very fast. <laughs> and it does it very efficiently. And if you want to do anything else, go somewhere else. Right? Um, and then I went to Emacs and they're like, welcome home, child. We can subsume everything. <laughs> We've got a web browser right here in the text editor. Let's go. And, <laughs> so so I, I think that's actually kind of an interesting point, though. Like, uh, people's usage of text editors seems to vary quite a bit. Like, I, I know some people who... They program, they never use any shortcuts, you know, like that, like, you know, a, a, that are built into the editor. They, uh, my example is, do you type end in Ruby? E-N-D. I never type end, period. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and I, some, some people do. They always type end, you know. I type do and then I type tab or enter. Right. And Emacs, and Emacs goes, hey, you need an end here. There it is. Right, exactly. What were you going to say, Gary? Uh, I, I've typed every single end that has ever gone into any Ruby code I wrote. So see, there, yeah, there's very different, you know, ways that people use the editor. Yeah. James, you're saying that you wouldn't need that level of power in your editor if you programmed in Python? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, Yeah, because back to, back to Dave's point, you type tab, tab. Tab, wait, tab, wait a minute. Did tab. we See, just did we just an reach, editor? Go ahead. <laughs> an, 
an editor is is a is a is a device which makes which makes programming in Ruby bearable by by uh, by putting in all of that that you know voluminous boilerplate. <laughs> <laughs> Although, as we're about to see, when Gary and I actually get into it, an editor is a tool that makes other programmers insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was what I was gonna say is that. Um, and then there's other people like I, I think like me and Dave who really um, Adam Keys described it uh, uh, my favorite description of uh, the preparing your editor's like configuration is kind of like crafting your own lightsaber and then you know yes. we, we yes. want to have it exactly the way we want it and I want to know that I type those three keys and this series of steps happens you know and and we like the editor to be like a extension of ourselves, you know, where we we train it the way we like to work and, and move that way. Absolutely. I, I, I don't want to put words in Gary's mouth, but I, I, I feel like the Vim philosophy is it's it's a toolbox. You should be able to throw it in the back of your pickup truck. And it's a standard toolbox. If you if you rode to work with Carlos today and you get out. You grab his toolbox, and it should be the same tools, everything where you expect it. You move to a different machine, and there it is. And Emacs is not like that. Emacs is like a workshop. And when you move to a new house, you have to set up your workshop because you want the table saw over here. You want the drill press over here. And, you know, it's – I'll admit it. My my I don't just have a .emacs file. I have a .emacs directory, and it's got uh, oh, yeah. half a megabyte. Right. It's got half a megabyte of crap in there, and all kinds of third-party packages and crap. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure that I like that analogy very much. I okay. Yeah, uh, I think Vim is really. It's more of a chainsaw, and the last thing you want on a chainsaw is controls that are not the controls you're used to, because then you will cut your hand off. Right. Right. And Emacs is more like a chainsaw that has other little chainsaws inside of it, and it just shoots them in random directions all the time. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if you change the controls, because you're going to get cut, your hand cut off anyway. Well, not your hand. Maybe like you half a leg. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Gary, so- you recently did, uh, on Destroy All Software, which I know we've mentioned several times on the show, you recently did an episode where... Um, you, being the VI user, uh, kind of went back and showed some Emacs um, and said, you know, I used to be an Emacs user. This is, these are the reasons why I used Emacs. And, um, and then these are the reasons why I switched to them and, uh, and prefer it. And I, I found that episode very, very cool. Uh, Me too. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, why, the why on both sides? Yeah, um, basically I think that uh, Emacs is, is an absolutely crap editor, uh, having used it for several years. Uh, <laughs> but it is a really good programming environment. It, it has everything in it, and um, when you get down into programming it, it is so nice, and Vim is so awful to program. Uh, like save excursion is the only word I need to say to make the difference clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> you should and, probably explain what that does, though. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can. Um, save excursion is like you're you're writing a script in Emacs and you want it to manipulate the buffer in some way. So you say save excursion and then you do a bunch of editing commands in your code, in your Lisp code. And when the save excursion is done, everything is back the way it was before you did those commands. So it's like uh, it's like uh, a git stash or something for your editing. 
in Vim, you do all of that manually, and it's so tedious and awful. And that really, that is a wonderful like microcosm of the difference between the two editors right there. Is Emacs has all these nice things in it, and Vim is just like a chainsaw, really. And it is your problem to take care of everything. Yeah, I would say, and and feel free to correct me as I, if I'm wrong, Gary. I, I use Vim a little, but I'm I'm definitely not an expert. But um, I would say that people tend to favor Vim for the out of box experience that like the way Vim is with its modes and, and moving around in it and stuff, they like that. And they, and they like it in that they'll go to another server and it'll be the same out of the box experience on that server. And, and it'll work pretty well. And, and where, where Vim kind of hurts is the whole Vim script thing. I mean, like, right. It's like, why, you know, if you wanted to customize your editor, you know, seriously, would you rather learn Vim script or Lisp? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think that's very true. Uh, and I mean, even even an Emacs user, if if he's serious about Unix, knows Vim because he's going to SSH into a server eventually. Absolutely <laughs> true. Absolutely true. Right. I, I, I'm just going to come out here as the as as the token Emacs guy on the group. Um, hey, you, you have to. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> We'll, we'll give you a token too, Andy. You I'm can the, play later. I'm the token Emacs guy. You're the actual Emacs character who has, you know, a character arc in the story. Um, yeah, but he doesn't have a lisp. Sorry. So, um, no, no, you have to know Vim. You have to. I mean, it's it, it's not optional. And I would disagree, though, that and that was actually one of the things uh, for me picking up a blank editor. I'd rather pick up a blank Emacs than pick up a blank Vim. And uh, I can sum it up in one word: no HL search. <laughs> yeah, HL search. Can you explain that? Uh, it uh, when you search for something in 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 vanilla Vim, it highlights all, everywhere in the file the thing you're searching for. You search for the you know, the, and it lights up all through the file. And then you're done searching, so you go back into command mode or into normal mode or whatever the non-edit visual mode, whatever. I don't know the modes, whatever you kids. Anyway, uh, you, you're, you're done searching, and it stays highlighted. You can start typing and start. You can go into insert mode and start working, and it stays highlighted. It won't stop being highlighted. And the hilarious thing is, half of the novice Vim users out there don't know how to turn it off. And so, the, I, I have seen three different Vim users do this. They they just get in the habit of searching for herp, you know, herp yep. derp. Yep. Uh, <laughs> just because it doesn't appear in the document, and it makes, it, now I'm searching for something that doesn't exist, and that has the effect of turning off the highlighting. <laughs> but, but no, I have HL search on, but I have uh, return remapped to clear the bounce, search. I was going to ask you about that because I've seen that in the in the, the destroy all screens or destroy all software where like you'll do something and I see this uh, mapped to no HL search and I'm like, ooh, that's a friendly thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it's it's unfortunate. So um, yeah. there. What about you know? I I think uh, uh, Gary doesn't consider uh, TextMate and and the other similar editors you know as serious, but. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, there's a lot of popularity in TextMate now and and uh, maybe waning in TextMate and growing in things like uh, Sublime Text 2. Sublime Text. Right. Um, and these are, you know, more, more GUI-centric editors, but it's interesting some of the old things they bring to the table. For example, uh, TextMate has, uh, you know, is very Emacs-ish in the way it does a lot of things. 
and I, I would say one of the major advantages to TextMate is you can basically script the damn thing in Ruby, right? Which is great. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I fell in love with it. Um, and uh, with Sublime Text 2, I've only looked at it very briefly, so I, I'm not great at speaking to this, but, uh, you know, I, I know that it has, like, a vintage mode and stuff, so it's bringing in, like, Vim stuff, you know, in, in some ways, uh, and many of its own features and stuff. But what do we think about, you know, more like the modern uh, era of editors? So my, my take on this really, um, I use Vim, so... Um, and I used to use TextMate. TextMate used to be my primary uh, use thing. The The problem that I always had and that kept driving me back to Vim, um, and I actually tried Emacs for a while. Um, Dave was teaching it to me when, when we were working together. Um, but uh, I started out as a systems administrator, and I got really used to the power of just being able to use the keyboard and, and not have to mess around with the mouse too much because, it, it for me, it feels like a context switch. To, to go back and forth. And so, you know, using a text editor like Vim or Emacs where I can do everything from the keyboard versus something like uh, TextMate or Sublime Text where, you know, you wind up interacting with the GUI and using the mouse and stuff. Um, it, it just, it felt like I could get more done doing it the other way. But uh, that being said, there are some powerful features to TextMate that, that I really did like, so. You know, that, that argument always surprises me, and maybe it's just because I'm the guy that wrote a book about TextMate, but I, I use TextMate pretty much all day, every day, and I, I never touch a mouse. So I don't know. I don't know if we just don't do a good job of, like, showing how to use TextMate keyboard-driven or what, but that's an mm -hmm. interesting thing. Well, I, th I, think, I think there are two things there. I think one is, yeah, I, I don't know... I mean, unless people go out and like buy your book or something that people really know that. But I don't think it's part of the culture either of the people that use TextMate where, you know, Vim and Emacs are much more about customizing it so that you can get the work done, you know, in a certain way. I'm going to go ahead and shill for James here and say if you don't own the TextMate book and you use TextMate, you're an idiot. Um because James's book does exactly that. I mean, he, he gets into, I, I mentioned last in last week's episode that I have it bookmarked. I have my copy bookmarked to the page that shows you like the command F, command shift G for, you know, find next, replace, you know, replace and find next. And, you know, all the, all the find and replace commands in TextMate. And, uh, you know, I, my, my editing philosophy is one in Rome, speak Italian. And, uh, Unless you're an ancient Roman, then speak Latin. But anyway, um, if if I'm editing pair programming on a Mac with somebody who is fluent in TextMate, we use TextMate. And if I'm doing my own stuff, I use Emacs. And if I'm shelled into a server and I need to edit a comp file really quickly, I use Vim. And there's a lot to be said for knowing, having a passing fluency in a lot of editors um, because it helps you communicate and work with other people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's true. Um, you know, David talks about the, you know, the shortcuts in TextMate for like finding text and stuff. And um, that that's another reason why I actually kind of like it. And, and one of the things that does bug me about 
uh, Sublime Text 2, uh, TextMate adopts the normal Mac conventions. So what David just said, you know, Apple F defined, Apple G defined again, that, that works in basically every single Mac program. Um, and that's awesome mm. because you just learn it once and then use it everywhere, you know. Uh, and whereas Sublime Text has its own shortcuts for everything, and that kind of bugs me because then when I go there, it's not the same thing, you know. I, I I think that's really important, and that's one of the reasons why I resisted using RubyMine for years. Was it, it RubyMine? You can set up all the key bindings, whatever way you want, and all of the RubyMine setup at at Pivotal when I started working there were all configured for people who are used to working on Unix and Windows, and. I just I couldn't type the regular Mac keys. It's like home that didn't take you to that took you to the beginning of the line. It's like why would home do that, right? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's <a> <laughs> I'm kind of mm-hmm. I'm kind of the opposite. Um, I, I for me the com- the editor commands are more important than the operating system commands. Um, and I, the, the editor commands are the ones I want to stay consistent. I don't I don't care as much about the operating system specific stuff. Um, and that's I think that mm-hmm. um, that reflects the fact that I mean I I started using Emacs. Um, when I was at a Windows shop, and mm-hmm. I brought that configuration, you know, and 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 this was part of the reason I started doing it was, you know, I used that configuration on Windows for for years. Then I brought those configuration files to my Linux system, and uh, you know, and used that. Then I brought those configurations to, files to my Mac, you know, and used the same Emacs behavior mm-hmm. on on the Mac for a couple of years. And then I brought those configuration files back to Linux. Um, and you know, and it was the same system that I'd been developing the whole time. Um, and so for me, it was it was much more important that my you know my development environment stay consistent than than it's than that my development environment stay consistent with the operating system that it happened to be hosted in. It, it, yeah, that's very true. And Emacs, though, uh, you know, you may be running your shell and stuff like that inside of Emacs, right? Though, which then, you know, kind of adds to that consistency, right? That in your shell, in your coding, in your whatever, you are using the same key commands everywhere, wouldn't you say? Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think that's actually almost the same argument made from a different way. That's one of the things yeah. Emacs yeah. does, in my opinion. Right. And I, I mean, people people make the joke about Emacs being a, an operating system, um, but it's not a joke. Um, I actually take that very seriously. It's I mean, it's not it's not an operating system, but it is an operating environment. It's a desktop environment mm-hmm. uh, for programmers, and um, you know, and that's I think that's if if you go to it, that's a big part of the reason that you do is that you want this uh, you know programmers uh, operating environment where things can be consistent across across operating systems. Um, and that you know assists you in various interesting ways. So, for the record, the the joke, the the official joke there is Emacs is an operating system, Linux is its de- device driver. <laughs> so, so really quickly, I want to uh, ask. Um, I know that there are different ways of getting started with some of these text editors. For example, um, when I was learning Emacs, I was using Aquamax. Um, and when I and for Vim on my Mac, I use Mac Vim. Um, if you're getting started with these on Windows or Linux, 
Um, are there other packages or good ways of getting these particular text editors? Well, no. real, well, real computers come with just, both installed, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, even if you're using a system that doesn't come with, I mean, obviously any Linux system is going to have some version of VI installed, probably Vim these days. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, does anybody even use the older versions of VI anymore? Still um, joy, that's all. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then they're going to have, they're going to have Emacs packaged as part of the standard package repo repository, so you just say you want to install it. Yeah. Matt said uh, Mac OS X's packaging of Emacs is quite embarrassing. It's like yeah. how many years old? It's very, very old. Oh, oh CentOS. <laughs> yeah, 22. Yeah. CentOS takes the cake. CentOS absolutely takes the cake. Um, I was working at a shop last year, two, no, a year and a half. With Chuck, you and I were working there together, and they were a CentOS shop. And the packaged RPM version of Emacs was from 2006. It was like Emacs version 20. And uh, I, I ranted and railed and said, please get me a current version of Emacs. And so he went out there and he found somebody who had built a custom bundle of Emacs. And he says, here you go. And he installed it. And it was like Emacs 22 or 21, a late version of 20. I'm, I'm like, dude, we're in Emacs 23 now. Can I please have Emacs 23? And, uh, yeah. And nowadays, <laughs> I would even recommend going to uh, straight to 24, even though it's the development version, because uh, it includes the packaging system. And to me, that's yes. awesome, because, you know, now you can just go into the packaging system and install stuff, you know, without yep. having to do that yep. manual dance for that, which is just crap. All right, this is kind of a funny story, but the IT guy at that shop was so paranoid and so security-minded that he would not allow C compilers on any of the production machines. And so uh, I would get on one of the develop machines that had a, comp had a compiler, I would download Emacs, and I would build it and compile it in my home directory. And then I would... SCP the whole thing up to the production machine because it was the same kernel and he found out I was doing this and so he locked me out of the C compiler on the development machines <laughs> Okay, so but I, one of the so things about Emacs that. is that you should never, ha you should <laughs> never have to do that I went you should never have to put it on a production machine. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But anyway, uh, my solution to it was I went out and got uh, uh, virtual. I, I had VMware Fusion, so I went and I got an ISO of CentOS of the same kernel version and set up a virtual machine with a compiler, built Emacs, and copied it up to the production machine again. And it's you know, develop <laughs> developers versus IT, man. The war continues. Yeah. That that should be our, another episode. De yeah. DevOps versus uh, I've, I've been on both sides, so I'd be interested to talk about it. Because so one of the things about Emacs is that you should never you should never have to copy it to your ser your your production server or any server, um, yeah. because it has the most mature remote editing system. Yeah, um, Tramp mode. Tramp mode has been has been in development since something like 1996, mm -hmm. and um, and it's very very mature. Basically, you point it at a server. And it has various ways you can specify what server you want it to point it at. And it will go through a series of machinations where it figures out what uh, technique is available to edit edit things remotely there. If, if, it, if it can shell in, it'll, you know, using SSH, it'll shell in. If it can only, you know, SCP files back and forth, it'll figure that out and it'll start SCPing, the, you know, the file up whenever you save it. Um, if it can rsync, it'll rsync, you know, and, and you can actually watch it as it, as, as you, you know, point it at the server and tell it, tell it what file, what remote file you want to edit. You can see it basically trying things out, 
um, and if it needs to, it'll install. Um, li- you know, it'll it'll open up a shell session and, and install little little shell functions in that you know that ephemeral shell just so it has a consistent environment. So it's a really really mature uh, remote editing system, um, and it's really sad when I see people uh, trying to use Emacs on a remote system uh, when they could just be using their local. Emacs setup. Right? Yeah, I, I I admit that I am not as fluent in tramp mode as I ought to be, um, but the few times that I tried it, it was really really slow, and so it was like it was it was painful latency, and so mm. I, uh, I'm like, you know what? If if I'm working on your server, give me a recent Emacs. You, you know, I would think that tramp, tramp mode would be that thing that leaves a tattoo on the lower back of your operating system. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Ah. On on the it's you you flip the DVD case over and it's down right below the midriff yeah that's right yeah for for the record I do not believe tramp mode is one of these these um you know rude uh, inadvertently or or you know or deliberately rudely named uh, things I think they're it's they're referring to like hobos um yeah yeah it's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, know, these things come up in the, in the Ruby community, you know, where it's yeah. like uh, these, you know, dubiously named gems, and uh, yeah. I don't think it's a no, case it's, of that. no, it's, it's yeah. You get on. There's an Emacs version. You know, I'm I'm editing files here, but I am basically Emacs homeless on this server. That's it. That really is the, tra- the whole whole spirit behind Tramp mode. Yeah. So this kind of goes back to what Chuck uh, 